the Bibles, our Bibles to Luke chapter 5, if you would please. I think I have hit all the points I need to hit. Luke chapter 5, yes please, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Luke. All right. I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Sunday school this morning. If you missed out on that, you'll be able to catch that on uh, online on our YouTube channel later on or on our podcast. But uh, I, I would just encourage you, if you have time, to come at 10 o'clock. And we're going through church history, so a really fun time to, to get a lot, of, a lot of information. A lot of information, right? Where's Hoyt? Hoyt's gone. He was here at first service. He had, we had like six pages of notes. He flew through, so it was good. He might have spoke faster than I do. I don't know. All right, Luke chapter 5. We're continuing through our series um, here, Written So We May Believe. And, and it's a harmony of the Gospels. And we've, we spent some time looking at how Christ has, has gone into uh, Galilee and Nazareth and Capernaum and, and how he's been rejected by his, his hometown. And they, wanted, they liked Jesus. They knew his miracles, right? But they really didn't want him to say he's the Savior. They didn't want to embrace him as such. Uh, but still, even last week, we knew he was rejected. But last week we saw uh, him go in and, and that, to fulfill prophecy that a light would dawn in the, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in this area of Capernaum and Galilee, uh, the Galilee of the Gentiles, as we'd see it uh, called. And what, what we're seeing there was that there, even though there were, still, there were people rejecting him, people always do that, uh, he was there with people that weren't religious elites. Right, the religious elites or religious elites didn't want anything to do with him. It's, no, we have our own righteousness. We're self righteous. Go away from us. We, you don't have what anything we need. That's how they felt, right? And he, they got a little taste of him because he went through Jerusalem uh, for the festival, but and he cleansed the temple. But then he goes out of the city, and and especially we saw after John the baptizer was arrested, he felt like okay, it's time to head on out. We don't want to ruffle more feathers right now. Not because he was scared, right, but because his time had not come yet. And that he was going to start a movement, start, start this, the birth of, of the church, really. And he, was, he went to Galilee to do this. And today we see the calling of his disciples. And it's going to be a little different probably than you've heard the story told before. Um, we'll look at the text. But we're gonna, what we're seeing here is, is, is Jesus uh, and, and a lesson that we learn at the lake, at the Sea of Galilee, uh, with these fishermen and with the crowds that are there. And, and for you and I, we can learn a lesson about ourselves, too, and, and, and our, our readiness and our responsiveness to the message that Christ proclaims. Remember last week we talked that he came at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. But when we take that message and we, we grow on that, now, if we were ready to receive that message, now what? It's kind of now what happens for us. And I hope we see that, uh, that in the story today as the account we see unfold, but also we see that in our own lives of the now what. Now, what do we do that we have this message of Christ, what kind of position and condition has my heart been in? Is it ready to hear from him? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our text, and we'll, uh, we'll get, get working. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together, God, and to worship you, and God, to be on mission for you, and even write cards and notes for these children all around the world. God, we want, to, we want to pause now. We want to, we want to pray for them. We want to pray that you would begin opening hearts right now, be working on the hearts of the, the children and families that are going to be receiving these shoeboxes, God. We, we, we don't know what's happening on the other end all the time, but uh, we know that they're going to have, have excitement and joy over toys and, and new things, Lord, and, and provision, really, for many of them. 
But God, we, we pray that it's more than joy. We pray that it's hope. It's good news of great joy because, God, we know in every box comes the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, God, that's, that's what we want to convey. We want to convey your love, your forgiveness, your power. We want them to know you in a personal, relational way, not just know of you, but know you personally. So, God, be preparing hearts. Prepare our hearts continually, God, as we pack boxes, as we give financially to, to pack boxes. Lord, as we come together as, as in a packing party and get them ready, Lord, I pray you would help us to have uh, attitudes and hearts that are, that are generous, God, and ready to serve and desiring to be on mission. God, we look to today, this afternoon, as we have uh, our Harvest Festival here at our church. Lord, we, we pray for the hearts of our community, God, those who will come in contact with our church or people from our church. God, we pray that we would be good witnesses. God, that our, our hearts and our attitudes would be like yours. We'd be so eager to serve and so eager to build relationships, Lord, and so eager to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, eager to share the truth that, that faith is greater than any fear in this life or in this world. God, thanks for the opportunities we'll have to share the actual gospel message today. God, we pray for hearts to be open to receive that, Lord, that people would come to faith in Christ and the knowledge of your Son. Lord, we pray as we look at our, our worship folder, we have the prayer force alert, Lord, for uh, the month of November. God, we pray for those, those uh, brothers and sisters all around the world who are being persecuted. God, for their faith, who today, this morning, are right now uh, hiding in underground churches, in homes or in basements, Lord, in, in back alleyways, God, or, or in, in, the, in the hills and countryside, trying to, to escape detection so they might worship you freely, might gather freely, might grow and learn more about you and God, and then God be your church everywhere. We know the, the the church, the underground church in many nations, God is thriving and growing by leaps and bounds because there is freedom in Christ. So God, we pray for uh, those that are undergoing persecution that you keep them strong, that they would continue to, to boldly proclaim the gospel by the power of your Spirit. God, for those who uh, aren't just hiding, but who have been actually arrested, and God, who are uh, being tortured or tormented, Lord, or have been imprisoned, God, they're they're meeting with you right now individually one-on-one, maybe in a jail cell. God, maybe it's dark, maybe it's cold, maybe they're hungry. We pray that you would strengthen them, that you'd be with them, God. They don't, they don't ask that they be released. They ask that they would be a good witness. And they'd, re, they'd remain faithful to you. So we thank you. We, God, we, we don't want to take our freedom for granted. We meet comfortably in a warm building, Lord, free to, to worship you at this point. So God, we, we ask that you would help us remember our brothers and sisters, that God, you would give us strength and passion to be obedient to you, to share the gospel the way they do, fervently, in the face of great opposition. Not in the face of just a little bit of uncomfortableness, Lord, but in the, in the face of great opposition. May we speak boldly and proclaim Christ as the greatest treasure, the only treasure we could ever really know. So God, today as we look to your word, open our hearts and our minds to be receptive. May we learn from it, may we grow from it, may we be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read that uh, out loud. We'll read the entire section 1 through 11. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little farther from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowd from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into deep water and let down your nets for the catch." "Master," Simon replied, "we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets." 
When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, uh, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. While Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to the land. They left everything, and they followed him. Pretty amazing account, and uh, where Jesus turns some ordinary fishermen into, into disciples, followers of him, and they follow him ultimately to his crucifixion, and maybe they run away a little bit, and then once he rises from the dead and the Holy Spirit comes upon the, the church, there's no stopping them from that moment on. So today we're going to look at this. Uh, we saw the light last week. The light had dawned in Galilee, and he, he was there because there was at least some sor- sort of receptive crowd, uh, a reception that was, was eager or ready. And, and what they were ready for was, was, was something different than the religious institutions that they had seen all around them. They were ready for something beyond just the human traditions that kept on being handed down by men. They were ready for something different, something new, something that was from the truth of, of God, and Jesus was on the scene. So uh, I want to also mention that it's interesting as I study this, uh, actually, as we pre-study this to, to set up this entire series in this section, uh, I remember Alistair and I, uh, months ago, uh, and anyhow, it was involved too, we were, we were battling back and forth about the disciples being called, and well, it looks like it was earlier over here and later here. There's an account of this uh, later on. We see this in, in Mark and in Matthew. Uh, the similar account. But, but I think as I've studied more and more, I, I, I really feel it's two different accounts. The ones in Mark and Matthew are an earlier account, and, and there's, there's a call there, but, but there wasn't a change in profession at that point. And, and there are, there's enough differences in these two accounts to think that they are different accounts. So I want us to make sure we understand that, that although in Mark and Matthew's account, they're earlier. Here we see in Luke, it's later after some things. Uh, we really see something happening and transforming in the, in the lives of these men. So when, when Jesus is there, uh, Peter is not unfamiliar with Christ. He's not unfamiliar with some of his teachings. He's not unfamiliar with some of the miracles he's done. He's not unfamiliar maybe even with the master's call on his life to, to consider leaving this profession and doing something different. And, and, and we'll see that. He was eager to even let Jesus have his boat and go out and preach from it and make it his pulpit, right? So we'll see some of that. So you can do some of that study on your own. We have lots of books in the church library if you wanted to come and read them. Uh, really thick books that are amazingly full and packed with all kinds of facts and truth. So, uh, but with that said, we're, we're looking at some lessons that we can learn uh, at the lake, a lesson at the lake. And, and I want us to see three different things today. First, first lesson here is this, that we ought to desire the authority and power of God's Word. We ought to desire the authority and power of God's word. Now listen, if this is tailing from last week, we saw that, the, that, that Jesus was there at the right time, at the right place, and, and a lot of that had to do with application for you and I. Uh, he knew exactly where and when I was going to be. And, and a lot of that right place is, how's my heart? Am I ready to receive? Am I ready to hear from God and respond positively to God? Or am I still going to be a little stubborn and, and reject the message, right? But, but what, and it is the message, right? The right time, the right place, with the right message. And once we say, you know what? His message is clear that I need to repent of my sin because the kingdom of God is near. I need to turn to him in faith. Now there is this, this transformative action that starts happening in my life. There's, there's this transformation that he gives us. So today, is, as we see, the, the first step in this is that you and I should desire, we should desire uh, the authority and power of God's word. 
That's what I should want. If, that, if my, I was the right time, the right place, and the message was received, now I should desire more of that. I want more of God's word, right? more power of God's word in my life, not more religious rules, not more religious institutions, not more traditions of men. I want more of God's word. Let's see what happened there. The crowd. It said in verse 1 through 3, as the crowds were pressing in on Jesus, what were they doing? They pressed in on him what? To hear God's word. This phrase is talking about the authoritative word of God. They knew what Jesus was going to speak was from the Father in heaven, and it had authority, and they wanted to hear it. it it's interesting. We've talked a lot about miracles recently, a lot about them wanting miracles, him to do special tricks for them and be a circus sideshow. Right? But here, they had nothing to do with that. They didn't want a miracle. They knew the miracle was Jesus and that he was authoritative and he was God in the flesh and they wanted to learn from him and, and know him more. That's dangerous, though, when we ask that because when we know him more we, and we look at God's word more, we should examine our own hearts and see us for who we really are, right? We're going to learn more about ourselves and how flawed we are and how, how wrong we are and how sinful we are and separated from God. We'll see that in Peter here in a minute. So they pressed in to hear God's word and he was standing by Lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. And the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets, right? It had been a long night. They were tired. They were washing their nets. Maybe got some seaweed on them. They're like, you know what? Let's, let's clean these things up. And he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. And he asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he complied, right? So there's this openness, this positive response from Simon Peter. He wasn't like, who are you? I don't, I don't know you. He, he knew this was Christ. He knew why the crowds were there. And in fact, he was probably curious himself and probably, I would say, a little honored it might maybe a little put out at first, but a little honored. Wow, Jesus is asking me to use my boat. Oh, yeah, okay, let's go. So he got in his boat and he put it off a little off, offshore. And then Jesus sat down as, as rabbis would at that point, as teachers would at that point, And he was teaching the crowds from the boat. He sat down and started teaching them. He doesn't even say what, they, what he taught, right? The message is still true. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But we don't know what he taught. But they desired the authority and power of the Word of God. Now, I want us to kind of understand something because we do let human tradition get in the way. We do let religious institutions get in the way of our pursuit of God's Word. That's a dangerous place to go. But we also let excuses get in the way. And the excuse that, that a lot of times we use as, as Christians today is, uh, yeah, I want to I share truth. I want to share God's Word. I want to desire God's Word. Uh, but I don't want to push that on my friend yet. I just want to build a relationship. So I, I, wanna, I, I mentioned this. I mentioned the relationship part because where is Jesus teaching from? Where? A fishing boat. I'm going to follow his example all week this week, by the way, guys. Right? And, and what do you hear? You hear me say, I'm going fishing, right? And I'm going to take some friends with me, and it's going to be great, and we're going to build a relationship. But if I was really to follow his example, what would I be doing? Also preaching the gospel, right? Sharing the message of Christ. Here's, what, here's the excuse we use, and I, I've done it. I'm preaching to myself. I'm telling you my own faults here. I love shoulder-to-shoulder things. I, I mention that a lot. A shoulder-to-shoulder is something that I love to do, and I bring somebody along with me to do it. Shoulder-to-shoulder, right? And yours are different than mine. But, but we cannot only do shoulder-to-shoulder things to build relationships. They are, those shoulder-to-shoulder activities are actual practical opportunities, divine opportunities for us to do those things as we share the truth of God's word with people. Do we understand that? 
It, it becomes whatever your shoulder-to-shoulder activity is. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's crocheting. Maybe it's, maybe it's quilting. Whatever it is. Maybe it's underwater basket weaving. I don't know. But whatever your thing is, it's your pulpit too. Do you understand that? It's your pulpit too. You can say, well, that was Jesus. That's... No, listen. He, he calls them to be fishers of men, not just to be fishermen. He calls them to a pulpit. He calls them to a message to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he calls us to, to do the same. So we have to look at the practicality of what Jesus showed here. He modeled this on a boat. He was on a fishing boat, and that became his pulpit. And sometimes he just wanted to get on the boat because the crowd was all around him, right? He's like, just get away from people for a minute so I can preach from somewhere. But Jesus was very practical. Most of his ministry was spent uh, sharing parables and analogies of things that were right in front of him as they walked. That's why he calls us, as we go, go and make disciples. It's not, okay, wait, stop, pause, sign up for a mission trip, and then tomorrow at this time you'll be on mission. It's as you go, as I go, we are to be on mission for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. It's very practical, right? So we can't let relationships, I'm building, I'm building a relationship, right? We did this before. I, when I was in youth ministry, we would do some events just to be relationship building. And I still believe in that. I mean, we do a video game night with the boys, or I'd play airsoft with them. But eventually it was like, let's, let's do a little devotion there too. Let's, let's give them something that's true and something that's good and, and let them know about who we are so we can then bring them in closer, get their curiosity going. Let's, let's let them ask some questions or think about and mull over the scriptures, right? It's not, it shouldn't just be, oh, let's just do relationships. We should be, we should be building relationships 24-7. All, all, well, not while we're sleeping maybe, but right, building relationships all the time with people. But are we using those shoulder-to-shoulder opportunities as, a, as our pulpit, right? As an opportunity, not to shove it down someone's throat, but to ask them, tell me about your faith journey. Do you, do you realize that most people in the world have some kind of faith story or faith journey? And most people are willing to talk about it because a lot of them are unsure about, is it really true or real? Or did I really experience that? Or what's, what is real? And if you know Jesus, if you've embraced Jesus, not religious institutions, not human tradition, but if you've embraced the Savior, you have something to share that is the greatest treasure in the world. Because remember last week, he's the biggest and the strongest and the smartest and the best. There's no one else for that. So, so don't just limit ourselves by human tradition. Don't limit ourselves by, by religious institutions. And certainly do not limit yourself in those shoulder-to-shoulder opportunities by saying, well, I'm just going to build a relationship now. We'll talk about Jesus later. Because, you know, I'm sure people are really excited when you call and say, hey, we've done a lot of fishing, but can you meet me tomorrow? Because I want to talk about Jesus with you. It's, it's a little awkward, right? It's like, oh, we, we're planning out our Jesus talk? Maybe that should come organically and naturally, right? There are times it's scheduled, right? People call me and say, Brandon, I need to talk. Yeah, come on in. But, but it should be something that's natural as well during those times. Right, and we avoid, again, traditions of men and, and religious institutions. In fact, Jesus commented on this in Mark 7. The Pharisees and scribes came to him and said, why, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of elders? Why don't they live according to the traditions of rules taught by men? Why aren't they doing this? Instead of eating bread with ceremonial unclean hands. So what were they not doing? They weren't washing their hands. Right? A rule, a tradition, a ceremonially cleaning thing uh, presented by the elders, by, by human, be- human beings, not by God. And he answered that. This is what Jesus said. Isaiah prophesied, prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, right? Teaching as doctrines human commands. 
It's like you're, you're setting up these human institutions, these human traditions as supreme, as, as greater than anything else. He goes on, you're a, in doing that, here's for you and I. As we hold on to human traditions too tightly, as we hold on to religious institutions too tightly, we end up abandoning the command of God to hold on to human traditions. Well, we should be desiring the command of God, desiring the power and the authority of God. He goes on in verse 13 of Mark 7, you, in fact, nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have been handed down and you do many similar things. He says, you're being hypocritical. You don't even love the word of God. You just love tradition. You love making people dance the way you want them to dance. That's what was going on. It's, it's interesting today. I don't know. Do you know what today is? October 31st. Oh, it's Halloween, right? We have a harvest festival. And a great, great thing to celebrate. Halloween it has some pretty evil roots, right? Do you know what, what else today is? Today is Reformation Day. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle doors saying this tradition of man is wrong. We have to go back to the scriptures. In fact, I want to share just a short uh, video. It's, it's, and this is by no means exhaustive history of Martin Luther. There's so much more involved. But, but for two or three minutes here, I just want you to listen and look. And let's, uh, let's honor this day and what he's done. Martin Luther was a German friar in the early 16th century. He was dead at Wittenberg in... Again, there's lots more information about that. But this on, on uh, the 504th anniversary of that day, we still are here today because of what he's done, the Reformation that's happened. Yeah, go ahead, Bubba. We absolutely are going to get there in the history of the church. You're going to get a lot more information then, right? But it's, it's amazing to see this Reformation that's happened and that, that we, we should desire God's Word, not, not human traditions, not, not religious institutions, but we shouldn't deviate towards them and away from God's Word. It is solo scriptura, right? Latin for the Word only, only the Word of God, or by Scripture alone. That's our authority. That's what Martin Luther said. Like, all this religious stuff, these human traditions by men, this is garbage. What really counts is Scripture and, and debating from Scripture. And, and because he brought up Scripture, he was excommunicated from the church. But that's where the Protestant church started. It has its, has its roots. We should desire, we should crave the Word of God and, and, and form our obedience from it, not from traditions of men, not even from our own ideas but from it alone. And, and I get it. It's, it's a difficult, difficult thing. When you, when you go through life and, and there's, there's ups and downs and your friends have different opinions and your family has different opinions and the world has different opinions, you're like, well, is there some area for movement? No, we don't move from God's word. It is always going to be the same today, yesterday, and forever. And it is, it is, it is profitable for us to stay there. So we need to crave God's word. We need to, to desire the authority and power of God's word. Now, the crowds had done that. And, and I, I believe that Peter and, the, and the other, his other partners had, had that craving as well, that desire for that. So they had heard, they'd heard him speak about this. They'd come to hear the word of God. The boat became the pulpit and they, they desired. Now, what, what happened after that? Well, the next thing we see at the lesson at the lake is number two, uh, we are to humbly obey Jesus. We're to humbly obey Jesus. I love that. Peter responded to Christ favorably at the very start, right? He said, hey, I'm in your boat. Take me out offshore a little bit. And he said, he said okay. He could have said no, right? He said, no, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm tired. We haven't caught anything. I'm a little upset because of that. I'm not getting my boat rigged up to go back out again. But he didn't say that. Probably good for him. I, I, I'll only segue real quick. I, I was listening to a, to a podcast this week and, I, uh, and a devotional and it really talked about making decisions now based on Scripture and, and in view of a legacy you're going to leave. 
and, and actually asking the question, what story do you want to tell about this decision later on? I bet you Peter had a great story to tell later on. The Lord Jesus came down, and I was tired one day, and he said, I want to use your boat. And I said, okay. And imagine that story. His grandkids around him, what he's telling them. And like, instead of saying, yeah, the Lord Jesus came by one day, and I was, I was tired. He, he wanted to use a boat. I told him no. Wait, what? You said you did. You see, what kind of story do we want to tell here, right? How, how, and, and that's going on for you and I. How are we humbly obeying Jesus when he, when he asks us to obey? So we humbly obey Jesus, especially when you think you know better. That's my parenthetical for, for my notes, especially when you think you know better, because I think I know better a lot. What about you? Let's look at verses 4 through 10. When he, that is Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for the catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. Now stop it for a minute. I think there's some neat things to think about here. I think you and I are similar to Peter. I don't know if you would admit that or not, but, but it's like, okay, a couple things to think about. I like that he said, hey, come and use my boat. I'll get you out here. I like that he said, even replied master to me. Rabbi, I, I see you as a teacher. I should probably be listening to you. This is a little hard. You are a master. But what does he say? You're a master of that, but I am a professional fisherman who's been fishing all night and caught nothing. And you are, you're a rabbi, but you're, the, you're a carpenter's son. You see that, you see, and, and we, we don't say that out loud about Jesus, because when we do, we get remarks like this, right? We're like, oh man, I, wouldn't, I would never say that about Jesus. But we say it in our mind and our heart, though. When he says you should do something, or you should think a certain way, you're like, well, I don't know if you have all the facts, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he probably doesn't, does he? But I, I love Peter's response, though. He said, Master, you're, you're the master, but now we've been fishing all day. But look what he said. Even, even half-hearted obedience is still better than no obedience. What, what do he say? We've been fishing all day, but if you say so, but if you say so, we'll let the nets down. I think that needs to be our response to Jesus all the time. We, we don't have to understand. We can be totally professionals at whatever we're doing, and we think we know better. We don't have to get it. But when Jesus says it, he's the master. He's the biggest and smartest and strongest and the best, right? And he's the master. So when he says it, our heart should be, well, since you said it, since you say so, then I will obey. I'll obey. And what, what follows is, is God's blessing and favor in that. Right? And, and we don't just obey for, for blessing and favor. We obey because we, we get come closer now to Christ. We, we've obeyed the Savior, and we've entered into a deeper relationship with Him. I'll let the nets down. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, uh, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come out and help them, and they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. Now, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a details guy. I, I don't like it stops there. A boat was sinking. I mean, this, you talk about the movie. Here's the movie, right? The boat is sinking, and, and the fish are just overwhelming the boat, and it's like the nets keep pouring out fish, and we're, they're going down. And all of a sudden, it just shifts gears from any solution to that at all to, and Peter fell down to Jesus and said, wow, you're God. And, and, and it's like it resolved. What happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they did sink or didn't sink. God was, God was on board, so he took care of it, whatever it was. So they began to sink. 
When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, so we have obedience from Peter saying, I think I'm, a, I'm an expert at this, but since you say so, I will obey. We'll put the nets down. He was obedient. Even half-heartedly, he was obedient. And what does Jesus want? He wants people to worship him from the heart, not from the religion and tradition, right? So he has at least half of his heart. And then Peter falls down at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. I think there's a few things he's probably thinking. One, I only half-heartedly obeyed. How wretched am I to not have been full-on saying, whatever you say, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm in. I've got it. Instead, he's like, he had to put his little quip in there. But Jesus, I don't know if you're smart enough. I'm, uh. And he's like, I'm so sinful. I was so wrong. I'm so sorry. Whatever you say next time will be first off my lips, right? From the guy who denies Jesus later on three times. We're all like Peter, right? And, and, and Jesus could have done this miracle without Peter's obedience. He could have just been in the boat and been like, fish jump. And they all of them jump on the boat and sink it, right? Jesus could have done that. But see, here's what's interesting about the gospel is as we are in the right time, right place with the right message, we respond in faith to Christ. He, we now crave that message, crave that word. And God starts to give us these opportunities to be obedient and to partner with him. He says, listen, there's fish to catch. Put your nets in the deep. Right? He doesn't just make the fish jump in the boat. He says he invites us to participate. He invites us into obedience. That's the way he calls us. And he wants us to labor for his kingdom as well. We're very much like Peter, though, right? We, we have all kinds of excuses not to be obedient to Jesus. We know better. It's not the right timing. I'm, I'm in a bad mood. I've had a long day. The kids are screaming. Whatever it is. There's all kinds of reasons we have to not be obedient. But isn't it encouraging that even with half-hearted obedience, Jesus still does something? That, that Jesus doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to just throw you overboard. You need to be tossed in the ocean. I'm glad he doesn't throw us overboard. But he accepts even half-hearted obedience. Now, I'm not saying that, that half-hearted obedience is what we want to go out these doors looking for. But that's the first step. That's, you know what? It's better than no obedience. It's better than no heart. Because, again, these people have honored him with, with their lips, right? And, and, and didn't care about the worship of God from a pure heart. So it's got to be from the heart, right? This is what Jesus is desiring. And, and, and going back to Isaiah 29, is what he quoted earlier, the Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches, they honor me with their lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules are what direct their worship of me. If we can just lay aside that and come at least willingly to Jesus, receptive, and say, I, I don't get it, Jesus, but since you say it, I'll obey. He will bless that. Now, what, what, were the miracle? what was the miracle here? Some people say, well, it was, it was the miracle of knowledge because Jesus directed them where? Go out and cast your nets into the deep. I, I, I'm guessing in this, this huge lake that there's a lot of deeps there, right? I, I, I mean, so did he have knowledge where the fish were? Of course he did. He's Jesus. Well, what's the other miracle it could have been? He, he just said, put your nets in there, and what am I going to do? I'm going to fill them up with fish. right? So he, the multitude was there. I, I would say it's both. right? He's, he's full of knowledge, and he's full of power, because he's the biggest, smartest, strongest, and best. right? So he, that's God to us. That's who he is. I'd say it's both, uh, both of those miracles were what was happening. And, and it was a blessing. right? So the whole heart was given over and said, listen, my heart is for you, Jesus, and my heart is in obedience to you, even if it's halfway and, and then he blesses, God blesses. And then, then when he blesses, there's this immediate like fall down on his face in front of Jesus saying, wow, I was so wrong. 
you are so amazing. You, you are more amazing than I, than I had, even the faith that I indicated earlier said about you. You're more amazing than that. And I, it reminds me of Romans. This, this idea of obedience from the heart bringing blessing and, and that, that blessing bringing true repentance. It, Paul asks this question, are, are you despising the riches, uh, the riches of God's kindness? Are you despising the, the riches of his restraint and his patience? And do you not recognize, Paul says, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You see, Jesus is kind. He is compassionate, but he's full of grace and truth. And he comes to that boat saying, listen, you need to trust me. I'm God. I, I might be a carpenter's son, and I, I've done some stuff for a living, but I'm, I'm way better at being God than being a carpenter's son. You better trust me. And I'm going to not only give you a blessing, but when, when you see me for who I am, when you have faith in me, even from a small little bit of your heart, you're going to see this blessing. You're going to see this, this fruit be produced inside of you. And, and it's going to lead you to a place of just utter humility where you're like, I, God, you're so right. There's nothing else I want more than you. See, God's miracles like this, God's blessings like this shouldn't lead us back to, oh, I'll still half-heartedly follow you, God, so I can get more blessings. Half-hearted Obedience leads to God's blessing, but God's blessing leads to wholehearted surrender. Where we are on our knees, on our face before God, it leads us to a place of humility. That's why we humbly obey God. Jonathan Edwards, he quoted this. He said, A truly Christian love, either to God or men, is a humble, brokenhearted love. You know why? I want you to think about brokenhearted love. I want you to picture Peter. And he's on the boat with Jesus, and, and they got the whole haul of fish in. And, and what does he do? He just, in, in, in brokenness, he throws himself on the floor saying, I am nothing. I am nothing. And you are everything. What did Peter find at that moment? He found that in Christ is the only place he can truly have rest. He's burdened himself all night long, days, weeks, months on years as a fisherman. Some good, some bad. The cares of the world on his, on his shoulders. There's these people that, that believe weird things all around him. But Jesus is in his midst saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm God. Let me be God. Let me do the miracle. And why don't you just give up and fully trust and embrace me? Stop trying to carry the burden on your shoulders yourself. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We, we, we carry around burdens too great for us to carry. And Jesus is not just saying, hey, just trust me a little bit with some of those burdens and I'll, I'll bless you and you, you can handle it. He's saying, lay those burdens down and watch the rest and see the rest and experience the rest that I'm going to give you. It's only found through faith in Christ. If this is what Jesus offers, then we ought to be continually ready to humbly obey him. Because his obedience, what he's calling us to, it doesn't maybe sound exactly logical. It doesn't sound like, we, like what we would do. But he says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. What I'm going to ask you to do is much easier and lighter than whatever you think you can do on your own. So give me that stuff and I'll give you my yoke and my burden and, and you'll be able to carry this on and carry this forward. And that's what we see the final thing. This lesson at the lake, what does it grow to? Number three, 
We ought to want only to know Jesus and to make him known. That's, that's what, what Peter did when he fell down face, on his face. Right? He says, uh, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. They were all amazed. They're all like, wow, this Jesus really offers something. And Peter understood this. He's offering rest. And not only is he offering rest, he's offering a burden that I can carry because he's going to help me carry it. And it moved him to action. So all of them were amazed, as were the sons of James and John and Zebedee's sons, uh, who were uh, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Jesus said, said that to Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Don't be afraid. Take the burden of that fear off your shoulders. Take, take whatever burden you, you're placing there off your shoulders. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be a fisherman, but you'll be catching people. And, and for some reason, I mean, that to me is intimidating. Like you're, whoa, we're going to go do what? I know fishing way better. Let me just go to my boat. It's, no, what did he do? They abandoned everything, right? He said, at the end of that verse, from now on you'll be catching people. And then they brought the boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. See, they knew the burden was light and the yoke was easy. They knew that Jesus changes everything. And that little half-hearted obedience, which led to this greater humility and this repentant faith in Jesus, they knew that their, their burdens had been lifted and that Jesus provides rest for the soul. And they knew that as they went out that other people needed that rest too. Why would they not want to share that with the world around them? Whatever Jesus said to do, they said, okay. If you say it, I will do it. If you say it, I will do it. I want to th you think about this attitude. And, and there's a new profession here, right? He was given a new profession. And that's some of the difference also we see from the Mark and the Matthew account in Matthew, 12, uh, Matthew 4 and Mark 1. But, but I want to see the attitude that Paul had about this, this heart and this, this desire to leave everything behind and, and pursue Christ. He said this. He said, everything that was a gain to me, I've considered a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right? There's, there's surpassing value in us knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not just knowing he can bless, not just knowing he's a miracle worker, but knowing him personally, eyeball to eyeball, he's there relationally, he can carry my burdens, and he'll give me rest for my soul. There's surpassing value. There's infinite value in that. Paul goes on, he says, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I consider all those things as dung, so that why? Why does he consider them a loss, as rubbish? So that I might gain Christ, he says. I just want more of Jesus. I want, I want to know him more deeply. I, want to, I don't want a day that goes by to not have Jesus in it. I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him. When people ask that I'm in Christ, there's not, I don't have any other allegiance. They know that I'm in Christ. And I want to be found not having a righteousness that comes from myself, but comes through faith in Christ. I don't want to be self-righteous. I don't want to be like the Pharisees and the religious traditions. I want to be righteous because Christ made me righteous through faith in him. I want to be found righteous in Christ or through faith in Christ. And then he says, my goal, more goal, right? I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. That, that gives us life and power through the Holy Spirit to live. And I want to, I want to fellowship in his sufferings. Man, that's harsh. What, what do you think? I mean, Peter knew. James, John, these guys knew. Andrew, they knew what they were getting into because they'd seen the persecution against Jesus. They had heard or been, maybe been even present when they wanted to hurl him over a cliff. Right? So they, they knew what they were facing, what Jesus faced. 
But compared to everything they could gain in their lives, it, it was way better to go with Christ, even, even a fellowship in his sufferings and being conformed to him in his death. Like, we're going to identify with you, Jesus. We're, we're all in. Everything we've got is yours. We want to know you more and be found in you. And then Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. He talks about this, this persecution that comes and what it does to our faith. Right? When there's pressures around, we don't just give up and say, oh, well, yeah, he wasn't all that, so I'm going to go back to my old job. No, Jesus still gave us rest for our souls, and Jesus still says to share the gospel. So he says, if he says it, I say, yeah, if you say so, God, I'll do it. If you say it, I'll do it. So Paul writes, he says to the, uh, the Thessalonica church, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened. So we were treated outrageously. What did that equal? They were emboldened. They, were, they didn't cower back. They were emboldened. We see this in Acts chapter 4 as well. They were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Wouldn't that be a great story? Think about the Thessalonian church. What are they getting? They're getting a history lesson. Listen, we were in big opposition, but we just strengthened ourselves up and boldened ourselves, and we came to you to share the gospel. How thankful do you think that church is that they did that? It's amazing. There wouldn't be a church without it, right? There wouldn't be believers there unless they said, even in spite of opposition, we're going to embolden ourselves by God's power and share the gospel of God. And, he's, and here's why. For our, our encouragement didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, here, they knew the message where it came from. Right? Jesus on the boat, fully God, saying, put your nets over there. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as, not, not as to please people but rather to please God who examines our hearts. It's all about, it goes back to the heart again, doesn't it? That humble, repentant, obedient heart that says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go. Yeah, yes, because you say so, Lord, I will go. We speak boldly about the gospel, and we, we do so in relationship with other people, right? Because we have this humility from, from our, our relationship with Christ and this obedience to Christ, and then we, we do. We go relationally, shoulder to shoulder, and that's our pulpit, and we share as best we can. We're full of grace and truth at those opportunities and moments. But listen, as we look at the Word of God, as we look at this account in Scripture of God teaching and God preparing our hearts, we have to understand that for us and for your friends you're going to tell today, or the people that are coming to Harvest Festival that will find out, that this was written for you and I. It was written so what? That we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing what? we might have life in his name. It's about life. It's about rest for our souls. That's only found in Jesus Christ. It's not about human tradition. It's not about your human tradition. It's throw, that, throw that out. It's not about religious institutions. It's throw that out. It's about the word of God and the power of the spirit of God impressing upon the hearts of people to humble themselves before Christ and believe and be transformed and changed for a life with a new profession for him. That's what it's about. That we would shine brightly for him. That we would work as, as co-workers in the, in the kingdom of God for him. All right? Would you stand with me and pray as we, we close and, and go into worship again? Father, I, I thank you so much for your, your love and your mercy. I thank you for your grace given to us through Jesus Christ. And God, as we look to your word today, God, I, I'm, I'm just always thankful for your word, solo scriptura, 
Father, it's by, it's by the Scriptures alone. It's, it, it, that's, that's our authority. And Lord, there we see ourselves and there we see you. And God, as we do, I pray that we would humble ourselves. Even if it's half-heartedly responding to you, God, I pray we would respond to you in faith. And God, as you give us rest, that we would then wholeheartedly respond in faith and faithfulness to you to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. God, we are his ambassadors pleading with people to be reconciled to God. We thank you for the, for the way, the truth, and the life that there is a way that we found through Christ. As we worship you now, God, may it be an overflow of our heart. May it be the contentment of our souls at rest, praising you, grabbing onto the message of the gospel and singing that back and forth to one another. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, that's what it is. It's a response time, a response from the heart to sing to Jesus, and I encourage you to do so. I'm going to be in the back uh, over here. If you, if you need prayer for something, I, I'd love to pray with you, and maybe you just need to worship. Let these songs resonate as truth in your, in your heart.